Restaurant Unstoppable episode 565 with Ben Sabin. In my line of work, it's not going to fall out of the sky, and if you don't show up, it's not going to happen. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Introducing Ethic Suite, the first and only misconduct, theft, and fraud reporting platform exclusively for the restaurant industry. Check out restaurantethics.com to see how restaurant employees can report any concerns anonymously, easily, and securely from any device with internet connection. However, if you're an owner or manager, you should check out ethicsuite.com slash restaurantunstoppable for more information on how you can monitor and respond to these reports and stay informed about issues that could affect your business and your reputation. One more time, that's ethicssuite.com slash restaurants unstoppable. Cashflow is something every small business is worried about, and it's hard to know at any given moment how you're doing. And worse, it's virtually impossible to predict the future until now. Welcome to CashflowTool.com, the ultimate companion for any small business using QuickBooks. CashflowTool.com gives you instant visibility on any device anywhere of your cash flow, and it also alerts for unexpected expenses. On top of all this, it analyzes your past finances and projects how much money your company will have tomorrow, next week, and next month. Go to www.cashflowtool.com slash unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and receive pro features at the essential features price. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guest, Ben Sabin. Ben, my man, are you feeling unstoppable today? I'm feeling unstoppable today. <laughs> yes, that's what we like to hear. So hailing from Houston, Texas, Ben Sabin is a graduate of Edwards University, where he studied communication, advertising, PR, and marketing. A few years after graduation, Sabin did some independent contracting before bartending and managing at the Whip Inn. Sabin spent the next five years serving Thirsty Planet Brewery company in numerous roles and in 2015 Sabin joined forces with friend and business partner Devin Pons and they founded Friends and Allies Brewing Company where they were the Austin Chamber of Commerce awarded them for outstanding business growth and first-time entrepreneurs in 2017 and I just heard some really great things about you guys uh, I have my boy Casey telling me I had to talk to you so here I am I can't wait to get your story I'm sure it's gonna be a good one but let's get that motivational inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra, what do you got for us? A uh, success quote would be, go get it. Go get it. Why did you choose that quote? Uh, because in my line of work, it's not going to fall out of the sky. And if you don't show up, it's not going to happen. Yes, I love it. That kind of reminds me of a, a line from Gary Vaynerchuk, where he was talking about just uh, creating your online business, different roles, different verticals. But it's not going to happen. It's not just going to happen. you got to go get it. you got to make it happen. And if... If it's not happening, then what are you doing in your life that's not right? You know, like make it happen. Exactly. It's like a child. You can have a great idea or concept, but you've got to nurture it. You've got to grow it and you've got to build it. Yes, man. I love it. So let's go to where it all started for you. When did you know you're going to make a life in food and beverage? Uh, let's see here. Uh, in college, I guess I started as a busser uh, bar back at Vespaio, okay. uh, a very high-end Italian restaurant. Um, known to all the Austin natives, but um, I kind of learned from there, um, you know, what is necessary for service industry, what's necessary for customer service. And I bridged that over to what I do now, which is selling beer 
to basically the service industry. Okay. Uh, I have to impress and convince someone in the service industry to purchase our beer or to at least partner with us. Yeah. So you have a really interesting story. Typically, I go after people who build restaurants uh, and restaurant uh, empires, but you have a unique angle where you're more in distribution and uh, you, you, you help grow the... So exactly what is your lane here at uh, Friends and Allies? Like, Really uh, paint that picture. Yeah, I would definitely say it's sales and distribution, uh, managing that, a little bit of the marketing. Um, I stay completely out of production now, Okay, um, which I'm kind of happy, but uh, that's where I first started was production uh, at another brewery, which is Thirsty Planet. Um, so I'm doing the day-to-day. I've got two guys kind of running a sales distribution team, and I partner with a distributor in outside counties. Um, and I'm also doing deliveries at least uh, two times a week now. Okay, so... I love it because it adds diversity to what I do. And you're going to have some really unique perspectives and interesting advice, I'm sure. But we'll, we'll crescendo into that. But first, let's kind of really paint the picture. Were there any key mentors in your life helping you, do you think, to get to this point? Really dive into where you most grew as a professional to lead you into this point of owning your own brewery. Uh, let's see here. In 2009, I was making my own beer in my kitchen. Okay. Uh, and then I chose to take up a, a job at one of my favorite craft beer bars, which was the Whippin. Uh, the Whippin did a unique thing. Uh, Deepak was running the Whippin at the time, but um, really exposing people to really creative beers and showing all the different styles of beers across the world. Who's Deepak? Uh, Deepak is a, he's a close friend of mine. Um, he's currently with Central Market or, or kind of contracting for the craft beer industry. Uh, but he was the owner of the Whippin or the son of the owner of the Whippin. Okay. Um, so he was our general manager and our boss at the time. Okay. And w- when you got this job, uh, was there any intention there? Were you just kind of sick of the whole, uh, I think you were doing private contracting before that, uh, with communication, right? Were you, were you over that or were you thinking you're going to learn more about beer so you can, you can, what was the intention? What, what was going through your mind at the time? I mean, that was going through kind of an advertising background and that the PR scene was not exactly what I hoped it would be. Okay. Um, the coolest thing I ever did in advertising was, you know, you create a fake product and you try to market it. Uh, the best way I could see that happening was through beer. Uh, beer was being marketed and sold at Whip in a certain way, but I always wanted to create my own product uh, to be advertised and marketed a certain way. Um, a, a CPG, if you will. Okay. Well, you know, it's funny because uh, you see, I mean, there's so many breweries now and there's so many different ways, like there's only so many different types and styles of beer, but you got to come up so creative to like, to to, to name that beer. The things I see when people name different types of IPAs or Pilsners, uh, the the creativity that's involved with that to really, I guess, paint that product in a really interesting light must be kind of challenging i would imagine it's very challenging and there's so much beautiful creative products out there you know i'm in at least a few dozen corner stores and grocery stores uh every day let alone every week and i'm i stop all the time and i'm like wow that's beautiful you know that's beautiful packaging uh every beautiful color is used it's kind of hard to pick what product you want uh so that being said we try to kind of have a background of that product by having an experience here in the tasting room or through meeting one of us. Okay. So when you were working at the Whip Inn, uh, you said that it was a the the vision you had was basically being able to one day create your own beer and then market that. So why did you see the Whip Inn as being the way to get to doing that, I guess? Um, so I wanted to work for a brewery. I figured the best way to do that was to start getting more knowledge and understanding about beer, uh, especially craft beer. 
by then there was maybe four or five local craft breweries um, here in tech, here in Austin. Uh, so I was making my own beer, working at the Whip Inn, and then I finally got a volunteering job at Thirsty Planet. Okay. Uh, so I would go to Thirsty Planet, work on the weekends, and then I would go straight to Whip Inn right after work and do a shift for actually money. Okay, so finally a volunteering opportunity. Was it that hard to get a job at, at Thirsty Planet? Uh, it was that hard. And honestly, <laughs> uh, when I was hired, I believe I was, you know, there was the owner, his partner, uh, we had another individual, and then I was the fourth person brought on. And we were a four-person team for, I want to say, three to four years. Okay, so what was it about Thirsty Planet that saying to you that told you this is the place you have to work to get to where you want to be? Honestly, I had the beer and I liked it, um, but getting to know the owners, which are Brian and uh, Mike, uh, honestly, they, it taught me so much. So I kind of saw more of like a family uh, going on over there, and so they were more willing to let me kind of just clean up after them at first and then slowly learn how to make beer. What do you mean clean up after them? Just basically go, literally go into the brewery I, and I clean up after them? The first time I went there, uh, Mike was mopping the floor, and he was doing a terrible job of it. Uh, he's a close friend of mine now, but he just gave me the mop right away. So I started mopping the tasting room. Okay. Maybe two minutes into meeting him. And this was volunteering work, right? Yeah, this was volunteering work. You know, I maybe shot off a few emails and then finally got back. He finally got back to me after several weeks. So when you were going to volunteer for these guys, like what was your objective? What were you hoping to get from this volunteer work? What I wanted to do was learn how beer is made on a commercial level. Okay. I had done so much home brewing, um, and I was kind of tired of home brewing because I felt like the beer couldn't come out as great without the right equipment. Okay. Uh, and sure enough, I, I learned from there, you know, milling in uh, all the grain and then going into the mash in, which I was still kind of, Brian was always hovering over me and making the beer, but, you know, he'd let me sit there and watch and hang out for hours because a lot, a lot of waiting. Yeah. So, um, Really diving, you mentioned earlier that they, they taught you so much. Um, what, what are the biggest things that you learned from them? Not necessarily about making beer, but about building a business. So the most exciting thing was I, I originally wanted to learn how to make beer commercially. But when I finally got hired there, they threw me in a van to deliver beer. Okay. Um, I had never done this before. So threw me in a van to deliver kegs. So A, first learn how to move kegs. But then it's literally dealing with every restaurant manager, back of staff, while you're delivering the kegs. Um, it's a small crew, so while I'm delivering kegs, Mike's also teaching me how to sample beer. And so we're selling beer, delivering beer, and then on top of that, we're doing line cleaning, which is draft maintenance that's mm-hmm. necessary every two weeks for bars. Uh, these are things I've never seen before. You know, I don't see how a product gets into a restaurant, why a restaurant chooses a certain product. Um, and I was kind of thrown into that van and that whole experience. Okay, so take us through that, some of the lessons you learned about what, why restaurants choose certain products. Maybe what have you noticed about the most successful restaurants when they're making their decisions that you can share with us? Maybe we can replicate in our own businesses. Yeah, you know, um, for us, at the time, it was draft only. Um, so I think people make those decisions based on the quality of the product, uh, but also the experience they have with the individual. So... If I can sell my story to someone with a quality product, it, I think it's most likely going to get chosen, hopefully, before someone else's product. Okay. So you're saying that most of the people, uh, a, lot, 
of what weighs into the decision is the story behind the product and the people behind the product. It, it's definitely the story and the experience you have on that first time selling beer. You know, the funniest thing they have that when they started, they sampled, uh, I believe, Jack Gilmore with Jack Allen's in the van with three kegs tapped. So they literally invited them in the van to pour beer out of the keg, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. And that's the original owners of the, the Thirsty. Uh, yes. <laughs> I can't remember. Wait, is it the Thirsty Planet Brewery? Okay. Yes. They would have beer on tap and invite the restaurant owners into the van to, to sample the product I, right there. I believe they did that for the first two weeks or that's so. That's pretty smart, though. It, it is pretty smart because these people never forget that first experience. You know, it, they first they're laughing at it. Do you want to come to my van to drink a beer? But no, sure enough, you know, <laughs> the beer was good and they have it available and they're allowed to sell to a restaurant. Yeah. Well, plus it's, you know, you're creating that memory too. It's something, it's a unique, it's almost like a unique selling proposition in the sense that uh, you're creating that unique experience. It's that first impression, right? Yeah. Uh, which is really interesting. Um, I think you can take a lot of what we're talking right now and apply it to the restaurant industry. A lot of people just go and they open the restaurant, but they don't think about the story behind the restaurant, uh, what the restaurant means to you. Why, like even today when I'm researching restaurants and guests to be on the show, it surprises me how many people, people don't tell that story and don't really do the work to, to let the guests know who they are and what matters to them. Right. I think it's the most important thing. It's the people behind the restaurant who are starting the restaurant. You know, it's the same with being a a sales rep or representing a brand. It's you hope that your DNA or your story blends with your logo or whatever you're trying to market or create. And you hope it kind of intertwines together uh, to create one big thing. So it has to be multifaceted. It can't just be this one, here's the name of the restaurant and here's what we do. It's like, no, that's that. And then hopefully you can peel that onion back and be like, oh, well, that's him or her. He's in charge of this. You know, she's a pastry chef or she's paved her way the entire way, Um, you know, worked for 10 or 12 different restaurants to get where they're at now. Um, That's when it becomes a story that you want to learn about. And that's when it becomes a place where you want to spend your time and your money because you feel like you're helping someone out that has earned it. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's, it's interesting. It's almost like we've gotten away from what business was supposed to be community, right? Capitalism, everybody coming together to create opportunities for one another and to create like a, a community of business. But now it's like, like in the, the nineties and like early two thousands, it was big business, right? Where it was just literally a transaction and yeah, we got away from that, that the personality, the relationship behind of it. But now there's almost an opportunity to, cause we're, we're starved of that. And we, and if you can appeal to people better and you can make it more personal, you're at an advantage. Yeah. It kind of seems like what's going on. Definitely. You know, we deal with it with corporate chain restaurants, but we deal with big corporate beer. Um, so we have to have our own story to, have, to be craft beer, to be unique. Uh, same with a small pizza restaurant. You know, they're making the pizza fresh or the dough fresh right here. They're seeing the, you know, the wood-burning oven, et cetera. Uh, that's more exciting than just having beautiful colors, a nice laid-out menu, and you make five different types of cuisine that's available, mm-hmm. you know, from Chinese to American food. Got you. Let's bring it back to your story. We got here because you were talking about one of the biggest things they taught you was to, you know, develop the story, to tell the story. And that's what's going to sell the beer, right? This is the story behind the beer. Plus, it's got to be good. It's got to be good beer. But, you know, if you have two beers that are really good and one has a better story, you're going to go with that one. If you like the people better, you're going to go with that one. So what else did they teach you? Uh, You know, they taught me how to just to really deal with um, different circumstances, basically, like Um, I'm dealing with someone who's stressed out, doesn't necessarily want me there. And I'm also trying to sell something. So 
you try not to be this annoying salesperson, but you're trying to tell your story through your product. So you hope that somebody can look through that um, and enjoy that product. How do you, what, what advice, I mean, I don't know if this, this advice translates to restaurant owners. Definitely translates to me because I'm always trying to get guests on the show and I'm trying to recruit people. How do you approach people to, to, to get their time? Like what, did, what advice do you have when it, or I mean, I'm sure the, these, these are soft lessons that I feel like must transfer across different verticals. Uh, so what have you learned about approaching people to educate them or to get, to get their business? Uh, I've learned a lot. I've learned, uh, you know, somebody knows someone in this town. It's a very small town. Uh, so you kind of do your little research. Um, you're kind of like a private eye. You yeah. try to figure out who's in charge, who's the decision maker, uh, what their hours are and when someone's likely to be there. Um, you know, you can only set up an appointment so often through email. Um, not many people are very structured cause we have a very fluid industry where it's sometimes you're super busy and you're slammed and sometimes it's a slow time. Um, I prefer to just show up and meet someone in person. <laughs> and if that's annoying, well, hopefully I can set aside a time to do a proper uh, demonstration of the product. Awesome. Um, what else did you learn from these guys about running a, a successful brewery? I mean, they were your mentors, essentially. They're, they're, they're who got you into this business. So any other key takeaways? Um, you know, slow, steady growth, I think. And also, you know, don't get distracted. Somebody always wants a new product all the time. Um, the thing is to kind of stick with what you have, build your core, um, and then you can slowly deviate from that and do all the fun stuff. Um, you know, I would be frustrated as a salesperson because we weren't doing uh, seasonal beers as often. Whereas now we're in an industry where you do so many seasonal beers, people just want something new and you don't have anything taking care of the business like a core beer or flagship beer to sell uh, that's helping you build that to have more creativity, to do more expensive things. So what's the secret behind creating a flagship beer? Um, you know, <laughs> I don't know if there's a secret because the consumer ultimately chooses uh, we were in a unique position when we started this. We used a new law to make our own beer out of someone else's brewery, but we could only make one product. Okay. And it was draft only. So Devin, me, me, Devin, and Nate have to sit down and be like, what is going to be the style of beer that will sell the most often if it's our only style of beer? We know IPAs are popular. We know it's hot, it's hot about nine months out of the year here in Texas. So maybe if we did something a little lower alcohol, maybe stop right there um, and we'll come to the beer that you chose, but let's set up how you guys came together. Let's try to get chronological and like tell the story of you guys coming together to start this brewery and the steps you took when we get back to this point where you, you can kind of break the, the drop the bomb on us on which beer you chose and what, how you scale from that point on. Does that make sense? Yeah. So Go back to when you decided to maybe start your, your own brewery. How did that even become an option? Let's see here. Uh, Devin and I met in 2009 when I was homebrewing. Uh, he saw my homebrew equipment in the window, came up and introduced himself. Um, we kind of bonded from there, and I went to go work for Thirsty Planet. He went to go work for a separate brewery, eventually moved to San Diego to get more experience, where I got experience on the sales distribution side as well as marketing. Um, he did more business management and account growth for a very large San Diego brewery. Um, so he came back, he moved back, uh, I believe to have his first child and then approached me, uh, to start a brewery. By then I was about five years deep with thirsty planet, uh, heavily vested, 
um, almost exhausted because it was a lot of work um, and it was constantly going. Uh, I told him no. I, I didn't want to start a brewery because you had uh, literally just helped these guys start a brewery. To build a it. to build a brand is entirely exhausting. Yeah, and there's no easy way to do it. Um, you know, you could have all the money in the world and try to throw it at advertising or some unique uh, marketing stunt, but it it's not going to work. Um, we're selling something that's very important to people and families. It's one of the most. Uh, it's one of the top beverages you communicate or have a conversation over. Uh, we're also selling craft beer, so it has to be important and thoughtful. Um, so he approached me to start a brewery. I told him no, um, and then he kind of got the ball rolling with investments and other people that were interested and then came back to me, and, and I agreed to finally um, partner with him to do the sales distribution. Ultimately, what changed your mind? Um, what changed my mind was um, you know, a different experience and something that could be mine. And maybe I could take what I've learned to make something better um, in hopes to make something better. Okay. Um, you know, maybe take some things that I thought I was annoyed with and, um, and roll them in and fix them, hopefully in this business, but also make different styles of beer. Okay. I'm curious. When, when he approached you to go into business together, on a scale from 1 to 10, how well did you know him? Uh, I, knew him I knew him pretty well, but, um, you know, we were kind of like distant friends. Okay. Uh, we always just kind of kept up a little bit, you know, once or twice a month gotcha. we'd communicate. Um, but he was, for, he was working for an exciting brewery in San Diego. And, you know, I want to say they're 10 to 20 years ahead of us here in Austin. So aside from him having this experience with, uh, production, what was it about him that drew you to him and made you think he'd be a good business partner? Um, you know, he had the plan, um, knew how to deal with the financing. Um, and had a professional business plan. Okay. Uh, that also being said, he had um, a brewer that was able to do the production side. He could do the business side, and I can build and grow a brand. Okay. So the pieces I see the pieces of the puzzle coming together now. So when when did you ultimately say yes, and what was it exactly that kind of like pushed you over the edge to say yes? I think um, just the ball rolling with the business plan and people being excited and seeing that it could actually happen. Like, we could raise this money. Nice. So you said you, said you wanted to be able to do it better. What was it specifically that you think that you could – I mean, you had a foundation. You had something to work with. But what were you going to do better this time around? Um, you know, I think we could create the branding together from scratch, um, bring some more unique styles of beer – um, from the West Coast, um, and then launch it ourselves, M- you know, myself, what I think would be the best way, which is through self-distribution. Okay. Um, why is self-distribution the best way? Uh, you control your own growth, your own future. Um, you know, you decide where your beer goes. Uh, a lot of people may say yes to beer, but it may not belong in that certain place. Uh, what I mean by that is, not everyone is ready for craft beer. Um, certain restaurants and bars may just have too much craft beer. Um, so it's about picking that right niche or business that is going to help grow your brand. Uh, that being said, is everyone that is a bartender um, serving our beer is technically a spokesperson for our brand. So when you're distributing the band, brand or sorry the beer, are you going to basically any company that will sell your beer? Or are you trying to strategically 
go after restaurants that are aligned with your brand to distinguish your brand? Uh, a little bit of both, and then also places where I have relationships with. Okay. Um, that's probably the biggest thing was over those five years with Thirsty Planet was building relationships with different bar owner and restaurants. So you were, had already been approaching delivering beer, so you started developing these relationships. You had that foundation to get your own product into the market now. Yes. Okay, smart. Um, what else did you do right that set you up for success? Um, I think what else we did right was um, just providing customer service all the time. Okay. Being available for someone all the time. Okay. Uh, a, that means a delivery on Saturday. That means an event you know, Wednesday night. That means something else maybe on Sunday on days that you would rather be at home. Okay. Um, we also started talking earlier about how uh, you had to focus on one beer because you could only brew one beer because you were brewing it in another facility. Yes. So bring us back to that point as far as how you came to decide on one beer. Um, okay. We, we have one beer, right? Um, we know IPAs are our favorite style of beer. We know it's the fastest growing. Um, we do know what's trending is that IPAs were getting maybe too hoppy or too alcoholic. So we started to see a, a shift of people wanting a lower alcoholic beer. Um, so that's when it was decided, I think amongst us was a session IPA may be the best solution. Um, that also being said, beer is tied in with weather patterns. Um, you'll probably want to drink a lower alcohol beer when it's a hundred plus degrees for not eight to nine months out of the year. Yeah. Um, so we have one opportunity. It's a low alcohol beer for the hot summer. And then on top of that, I'm most likely going to be enjoying it, uh, while still having to work. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So, um, once you decided on this beer, you uh, you used your past network to distribute it. Uh, what what other things were going right to really jumpstart and launch this brewery? Um, you know, probably our use of social media. Okay. Um, and then the fact that you know Devin's got groups of friends, I've got groups of friends. It's just building and tying in that entire network. Okay. What does that look like? How do you bring that network together? Um, I think you bring it together. Honestly, through beer. <laughs> okay. So what would you guys do to bring these people? To, would you physically bring them together together, like for an event over beer? Like, How would you do that? How yeah. You know, um, we didn't even have a, a brewery. I don't even think we signed a lease yet, but we were – or maybe we had just signed a lease but still far off. Um, was it that, this lease here or were you still talking about the previous location? It was the lease here and we were waiting to work at the previous location. Um, but you know, we had our logo and we, we'd gone back and forth with the design team on, on it, maybe 56 times. Um, but we made t-shirts. So we started selling t-shirts online and almost like a pint night, we would show up at whip at happy hour and sell our t-shirts. Um, we didn't have beer, but we were trying to create a brand. Um, same with having just one beer that was to get an early launch into the marketplace that was starting to be crowded and competitive. Uh, so we're, we're teaching everyone about the brand in hopes to build this huge facility, which we're in now and have a huge launch. Okay. So what did you do about like, was there, are there any things we, we should know when we're trying to, to, to develop a brand and create awareness around a brand? Uh, what things were at your forefront of your mind? Like what, what were you really focusing on during those, uh, interactions? Um, during those early interactions, yeah, um, I guess my focus was to introduce the brand to people. Um, so it is friends and allies. 
Uh, a unique thing is we wanted to be somewhat Texan without being rustic or kind of country, which had been played out. Um, so Texas or Tejas actually means friend or ally. Okay. So the meaning of Texas is kind of our name. So we have this, this big, serious Texas thing, but it's not all in your face with Texas. Um, and it's two animals. Kind of the bear represents the West Coast, which we have that brewing experience. Uh, and the wolf is kind of the lone range of Texas. Okay. I dig it. So you created awareness about the brand. You're, you have your one beer that you can sell. You identified the market you're going to serve, the people who don't want the high alcohol, crazy beer on a hot day. You're going to do the reasonable beer. Uh, how did you start growing this thing? What was the next step for growing and scaling this thing? Uh, the next step was kind of being as loud as you can. Uh, to be as loud as you can this day and age, it's through social media. Okay. Um, so that's literally taking a, you know, probably not the best content, but taking a photo of kegs behind a bar, um, checking into every bar, tagging everyone you can and say, Hey, the product is available here. Um, that kind of started a little grassroots movement where people would also take a photo of the beer and say, Hey, Ben or Devin, Hey, we're drinking your beer here. We love it. Um, that's getting other people excited about the brand. You know, they're part of that story now because they're helping grow it. They're enjoying it. Uh, and they're sharing it through their network. Mm-hmm. Well, can we talk about money? Do, can we talk about how you got the money to build this facility or to, to get put into this facility? I mean, it was just the three of you. How did you guys raise the money? Um, you know, Devin got the ball rolling um, with investments kind of through family members. Okay. Um, and then kind of I added a little bit to it. But he had researched um, basically kind of an angel network, the Central Texas Angel Network. And so we literally went there to go pitch them. Uh, it was funny because the first day we pitched or the first time I was brought along to pitch with him, uh, I literally got a phone call from one of the investors from thirsty planet. Okay. So I guess he somehow figured out cause he gets the same deck for this angel network. Uh, but I literally got a phone call from, he's a surgeon while I'm standing up there trying to raise money. Um, <laughs> so, um, we went through several rounds of this and, you know, a lot of them didn't want to invest in a brewery because so many other people had tried to propose creating a brewery. Um, but it, it kind of worked out, uh, Devin's background, Nathan's background and my background, we sold a, a team. We sold our resumes for the most part. Okay. Um, that's the most important thing is, I think that's, that's, yeah, sorry, finish your thought. That's the most important thing. That's the most important thing. Cause everyone has their circle of what their priority should be. Um, whether it's production sales distribution, or growing and taking care of the business. Yeah, if, if we take one nugget from today's conversation, like one most important thing, I think that this idea of when you're creating a business, you're not selling the business, you're selling the people behind the business. People don't invest in businesses, they invest in people. Uh, and if you don't have that, that leverage, that, that story, that experience to sell, then maybe that's where you should start. Right. If you- <laughs> Absolutely. I would say if you want to do something, go get experience exactly. in doing it. You know, this was from home brewing to bartending at a craft beer bar to volunteering at a brewery, then working for a brewery mm-hmm. for five years and not just working one job like you. You worked a gamut of jobs for them. Oh, what I, were the, the things you did for this other brewery to set you up to put on your resume? I thought I was going to be in production and I thought I wanted to be in production. And then, you know, I get an hourly wage and I'm thrown into a van to deliver beer. Uh, my job becomes then making sure that beer is in all sorts of places. And then it becomes learning sales and being like, oh, I want to be competitive. 
and I want to make sure our beer is over there. And so going out of my way to hope that the beer is available here down the street from my house or all up and down South Lamar, um, which it is, which is awesome. Yeah, man. And, and the other thing too, you thought you were going to be in production, mm-hmm. right? But now you're in promotion and sales. Uh, so is that where you want to be or you would, do you see yourself wanting to get back into production ever? I'm curious. Um, I think it's more suitable for my personality yeah. to be sales, uh, to be outgoing. I guess um, the point that I was going to try to make is that if, if you didn't have that experience, uh, you would have been starting a, a brewery in the wrong lane, right? So you also, by getting the experience, you find out what lane you're best suited for. And then you can go to other people who are best suited for other lanes. And then together you have the complete package. Yeah. And at least I have knowledge of what is, you know, I may not know the times and temperatures that the beer is being brewed at, but I understand the entire process up and down. Mm -hmm. So I can take a look left and right and be like, okay, that's getting transferred for here. It's probably going to take X amount of time to carbonate, Mm -hmm. uh, to get ready to where it'll be in kegs for me and my guys to go deliver. Mm. Um, you know, if, if I had no idea of how production worked and I went back there and tried to have a sophisticated conversation with production, it would almost be laughable. Yeah. So what things, let's talk about scaling the business because you got recognized for this excellent uh, growth and for being first time entrepreneurs. Like what were the, the things that you did right from the point where we last, I guess, chronologically left off to where you are today, how you've, how you've scaled so successfully? Um, I think the things we did right was working as a small team for an entire year, uh, building up this hype and, um, and then having the right location. Uh, you know, we're right next to Austin Eastsiders tasting room, Austin bouldering project, huge indoor climbing gym and, uh, an event center. So that's all sorts of different types of life walking back and forth. So we said small building hype and then location. Uh, why was it so impactful to remain small? Um, it's impactful, obviously, because we don't have a lot of money to go around. Yeah. Um, mainly, that's a huge part of it. We can't just hire people to go do sales and delivery. And so when, when that happens, it's literally us, our hands touching the product in front of them. So I'm literally delivering kegs. One of us is delivering kegs to that bar. They're like, oh, you're one of the founders or owners of the brewery. I'm like, yeah, and here's your keg, you know. Like that's when hopefully you win someone's heart over and they want to fight for you yeah. or carry your product. Cause like, no, he brought it himself. He cares about it. He's now on the other side of the bar having a beer. So you had three people when you started this business, right? Um, how long was it just three people for an entire year for an entire year? So from 15 to 2016, three people the entire year. Uh, when did you know the, it was time to bring on one more person? Um, so we were building this huge production facility and we finally, I guess, got into it, uh, January, mid to late January, 2016. Okay. Um, so the size of capacity in production, um, was meant for basically a higher production level. So we needed to hire another production person. Okay. And then we need to hire another sales or, uh, distribution person. Okay. Which is the first two things we did. So okay. it was conceptualized a very large production facility. So now you have five people working for you. Yes. And after a year. And um, how did your job change after getting that, those two additional people on? Um, you know, for production, it definitely helped out, uh, lower the stress level in the back. But for distribution, it totally helped out because I have someone else, uh, another personality, another network 
that's out there also being the face mm -hmm. of the company. Um, and it gets me out of the van a little bit more often, which means I can go comfortably be in front of someone more often. Mm -hmm. And did you have that cash flow there to absorb two additional uh, wages to pay to pay? Or how did you know that was time to, like, how did you know you had the budget to do that? Um, that's a Devin thing. You okay. know, we look over at Devin and, you know, I think I might've done it this week. It's like, can we get someone else? And <laughs> you know, you get that look and it's like, yeah, we're not, it's like work a little harder, go sell more beer and then we'll talk about getting someone else. <laughs> okay. Got you. So let's talk about the, um, so we, building the hype. We kind of talked a little bit about that already. You were just as loud as possible making an imprint wherever you could on social media, any other nuggets you can drop on us on building that hype. Uh, in, in a way in my mind, I see it as building the framework, the, the noise of which I don't know how to put the words to it, but you, you're, you're putting the, the waves out there and those waves are going to actually carry your product once you get the product made. Right. So how, what advice do you have for doing that? Um, be as loud as you can, okay. on, especially on social media. I don't care how annoying it is. You know, I, I still check in to at least five places a day. Uh, but that's showing people that, Hey, I'm at your business. I'm enjoying myself and you know, I want to support you. What uh, approach do you take when you're checking in and you're, you're letting them know you're just staying on their radar, but is there a technique you use something specific approach that you use that you can share with us? Um, you know, I don't think there's a specific approach. I think it's, it's, it's not every place, but it's try to be creative, try to post something funny, try to be slightly entertaining with yeah. what you're doing. Um, whether it's telling a joke, taking a photo of a product or taking a photo of some delicious food. Got you. Um, the last thing you said was location. Take us through why this location is so cool. You started dropping some of the hints, but really dive into why this location is great. So Devin actually picked out this location before we even had half the money, I want to say. Um, it was an ideal location. Austin Eastsiders production was there. The climbing gym was about to start construction. We knew, I think by then we knew that Austin Eastsiders may open a tasting room and transition to a larger facility. Um, cause they had already, uh, got the real estate lease for that. Um, so I think what we saw was one of the largest climbing gyms popping up, uh, you know, 40,000 square feet, which I guess I think it came from uh, the Pacific North. I want to say Seattle. Okay. Um, but basically knowing how many people it's going to take to fill that climbing gym and how exciting it is, how unique it is. So we know that that's going to drive foot traffic as well. Um, one of the biggest things for craft breweries, especially in Texas, is to be able to sell your beer in a tasting room is relatively new. Um, if we can produce product, sell it in here, it helps bring in revenue so that we can do a hundred other things in production and distribution. Um, you know, I want to say that that, that money's propping us up to get us forward, to help us buy ingredients for the most part. So what other things were you doing aside from having this, uh, tasting room to get that cash flow going to support other projects? Um, before the tasting room was open or, or before and after, what other things are you doing? Like if we're thinking about, or maybe we, um, are in the, the brewery world, like what other creative things do you do to get that cash flow going? Um, you know, it's, it's, I think it's about saving money. So it's about, you know, Devin and I were working in the taste room behind the bar. Yeah. Being like we talked about earlier, as lean as possible. Yeah. For that first year. Um, yeah. that being said, we're also in the taste room like, Hey, come see us. I'm behind the bar, you know, 
So all your friends finally get to come to your yeah, bar yeah. and give you hell, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which I'm, I'm kind of known for, you know, heckling people, but in a fun way. Yeah. Uh, so now they get a chance to, to come here or enjoy themselves, but also, you know, hang out and we get to show them how we're growing, what's new. I dig it. Ben, is there anything else we haven't discussed? Anything that you were hoping we would discuss or any areas of expertise that you think you haven't given us a taste of that we should dive into before going to the speed round? Um, I think that's, that's it. Yeah. All right. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be right back. If you listen to restaurant unstoppable, I'm sure you've heard me say it before, but I'll say it again. There are two things that you need to let determine your growth. The first thing that's people. The second thing that's cash flow. And we've got you covered on the cash flow part of things because I'm working with cashflowtool.com, the ultimate cloud-based solution for your business. Cashflowtool.com is simple, powerful, and predictive. It's simple because it requires no data entry. It's always up to date and it works on any device, anywhere. It's powerful because with its built-in cash flow calendar, activity feed, and anomaly detector, you instantly know all aspects of your cash flow with no surprises. And it's predictive because you know your cash flow today and you can anticipate it tomorrow. Head over to www.cashflowtool.com unstoppable and enter promotional code unstoppable at checkout and you'll receive pro features at the essential features price. All right, I have a question for you. How can an anonymous employee reporting program be a profit center for your restaurant? Hmm. Well, for starters, fraud alone represents a staggering loss to the restaurant industry with an estimated $40 billion in losses in the U.S. in 2017 alone. And this does not include the losses and costs associated with the more than 540,000 calls made to the U.S. EEOC in 2017, resulting in millions of dollars in penalties and legal costs for restaurant owners and investigators related to claims of harassment and discrimination. So do I have your attention? Good, because there's more. Employee tip-offs about misconduct continue to be the most common method for detection and prevention, but employees are often deterred from reporting their concerns directly to supervisors because they're afraid that there's going to be retaliation or they might lose their job or something, and I get it. But with Ethics Suite's anonymous and web-based restaurantethics.com, you can provide a safe, secure, simple, and anonymous communication channel between you and your employees to help protect your hard-earned reputation and assets. Go to ethicssuites.com slash restaurants unstoppable and you'll get three additional months so for the cost of 12 months you'll get 15 months or head over to the show notes and find the banner and you can use the link there we're back and the first question i have for you is what is your it factor a habit a trait a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success um i believe it's being in front of someone as often as possible being in front of somebody as often as possible how does that uh, being visible. Mm. So being approachable and visible. So someone can come up and talk to me at any point in time, uh, be a waiter, wait staff, bartender, whatever. If they have a question about the name or the ingredients, what's your biggest weakness? Um, uh, biggest weakness is, uh, North Austin, North Austin <laughs> breaking into the market. <laughs> yes. What's tough about that market? Uh, it's just a market. I don't live <coughs> near. You don't have the relationships. Yeah. I've lived in Austin for, um, 13 years, and I've been lived in South Austin for 13 of those years. Maybe you got to hire somebody who's a big deal in uh, 
North Austin. We do. I wish that was on the application one said must be living in North Austin. Must be a big deal from North Austin. Yeah. What is one question or thing you ask during the interview process? How you how are you growing your team? Um I guess the the one thing is is um Yeah, I don't know that. That's a tough one. <laughs> um they got to be from North Austin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Are you from North Austin? That's the new thing. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today? Uh, biggest challenge is, um, a lot of competition, but it's a lot of rotation. So your beer could be of the highest quality and sell the fastest, but it does not guarantee a spot on the top wall all the time. The, the what? Basically, um, people want to, they want a constant variety of something new. Uh, so that means shuffling through, different people's products more often. Uh, gotcha. So instead of uh, you may have a, a great selling product at a certain restaurant, but when the next button is pushed, it's next. So it's whatever you have next or whatever someone else has next. Got you. What is one code of conduct or behavior you teach your team? Um, I would say probably be on time um, and try to do as much as someone else's job as you possibly can. What is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? Um, uncommon standard of service would probably be um, help organize someone else's product. What is one thing you feel brewers don't do well enough or often enough? Um, I think it's get in front of the people. Mm. Uh, people really want to hear from these, the person who made the beer. What is one piece of technology you've adopted within your four walls uh, that has had a huge impact on operations? Um, one piece of technology would probably be a sales and inventory organization system. And which one is that? Uh, we, we use, it's called Ecos. Ecos. And how has that impacted operations? Um, we adopted it early on. So it kind it pretty much lets us see inventory and sales and how often we have touched a certain account. Okay. And this is the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? Yes. If you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your breweries would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. What would those three things be? The three things you know to be true. It's a big one. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> um. <clears throat> You know, uh, do what's right, uh, do it often, and repeat and do it again. <laughs> do what's right, do it often, and then do it again. I love it. Uh, this has been a great conversation, man. We wrap up every conversation by calling somebody out. So who's one food and beverage, restaurateur, maybe brewer in Austin that you admire and you would love to listen to their story and how they got to where they are? Who's one person that comes to mind? The one that comes off the top of my head, uh, he was my first boss in the industry, and that'd be Daniel Brooks with Leech's Cantina. Okay. Leech's Cantina, Daniel Brooks, look out. I'm coming after you. And let the folks at home know if we want to follow you and maybe come join your team, what's the best way to work or to connect with you? Uh, the best way to connect with me is probably through social media. All right. And the handle? Yeah, it's uh, been there, run that. Been there, run that. Awesome. Uh, again, Ben, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story, your knowledge, your mentorship. There is no questioning, my man. You are unstoppable. 
There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Thanks again, Ben Sabin. I think the big lesson in today's conversation is the value of your network. And today was a little different for me personally, interviewing somebody who uh, is a founder of a brewery. It's a little bit different of a beast than a restaurant. But there was a big lesson in today's conversation. I think that lesson was the, just the value of your network. Uh, what is making them successful or one of the many variables uh, that is making them successful in my opinion is that they had that engine prime they had the network before getting started and when you I mean your network is your net worth and you might not be able to open a restaurant or a brewery today but you can start networking you can start meeting people you can start growing those relationships and those relationships are going to be the waves that you will ride that will carry your business to the next level or to, or to any level for that matter. And uh, I think that's just something that we have to highlight in the closing thoughts. Uh, and some other things I want to bring to your attention. Uh, in the new year, Restaurant Unstoppable will be going from three to two episodes a week. Uh, maybe some more changes. Uh, nothing that's certain enough yet to mention. But the reason why I'm making this change is because I've heard from a lot of my listeners that they just cannot keep up with three episodes a week. And for me, that's not energy well spent. If people can't keep up with the content I'm producing, I'd rather take that energy into putting three episodes out a week to uh, maybe do two episodes a week and then really be getting much more intentional about the content that I'm creating and doing some deep dives. And uh, instead of gr- growing my network, I'd rather go back to people who are already in my network and go deeper where I met people who had specialized knowledge. Let's pull back the layers on that knowledge. Uh, I also want to start... The- Developing my own theories based off of these inter- these interviews, these conversations, and then challenging those theories, and uh, really starting just to go. I, I have no other be- better way to say it than just go deeper and really create more impactful, significant content. And that's going to be the goal. I hope I can pull it off. Uh, and you can help me by letting me know what you think we need to go deeper into. The the, the biggest challenges you have, uh, the areas that you wish we would talk about, shoot me an email, eric at restaurantunstoppable.com. I don't have all the answers, but I guarantee you I know somebody who has the answer to what you're looking for, and I'll get them on the show. So take advantage of me. I'm here to go to work for you. Let me know what I can do. Keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. Like, always got to say that. And um, yeah, spread the word about Restaurant Unstoppable and what I'm trying to do here to empower, inspire, and transform the industry. All right, guys, that's it for today. Thanks for hanging around this long. Until next time, peace out.